My question for you this morning is, do you like reality TV? It's okay to raise your hand and acknowledge that you do. Do you like reality TV? Do you all own a TV? (laughs) It's all reality TV. Maybe, if you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay. We can keep secrets in church. We know that you secretly watch shows. Maybe you have watched this show before. It's called Undercover Boss. Ever seen that show on TV before? Oh, now everyone's raising their hands, okay? Undercover Boss, if you've never seen it before, it's an interesting show. It's a reality show about real CEOs and senior executives who go undercover in their own corporate businesses to see how well their employees are managing the business for them. Now, these executives, they pose as new employees who are being trained to work within the organization, whether it's a particular store or restaurant or whatever the business happens to be, and it allows them the opportunity to get to know their employees and how well or poorly they do their particular job entrusted to their care. In addition, it allows them to have firsthand knowledge of what they can do to improve the day-to-day operations. But at the end of every episode, the CEO or the senior executive sets up a meeting with the employees that they have been working with. And of course, the employees are surprised at this moment to find out that the person that they thought was a new employee happens to be the one who owns the whole company or who is a higher up within the company. It's a big surprise. These people are writing their paychecks. And many times the executives applaud their work ethic and they reward them in various ways. Some of them will get promoted up within the company for what they've done. And as they get to know some of them, they find that maybe some of them come from hard family situations and are struggling to make ends meet. And so they take an opportunity to make their life better and easier. And maybe it's a lump sum of money, or maybe it's helping them get the education that they need to continue on. Some of their employees are given the opportunity for scholarship uh, positions for continuing education within the company so that they can advance quicker. But there are also times in which the the employers uh, meet with these particular employees and they recognize that maybe they've not done so well. Some of them are fired. Some of them are reprimanded for the way that they've been mismanaging the business or treating their other employees unfairly. In other words, the show always closes with judgment day. A day in which people are rewarded or reprimanded for the ways in which they have been faithful or unfaithful in their vocation. And so today, as we turn to Scripture, we come to sort of an undercover boss situation of sorts in Scripture, as Jesus would teach us. Except this time, the difference is is that the people who are entrusted with the business know their boss, and their boss has given them. Uh, different amounts of money. And he's given them no instruction on what they're actually supposed to do with it, but he tells them that he's going on a journey and eventually he will return to settle their accounts with them. We know that this boss is very wealthy and has great expectations of all of his servants. In fact, we probably know this parable best as the parable of the talents, right? And talents were money in Jesus' day. And so he gives a total of eight talents away to three different servants. To one he gives five, and to another two, and to another one. And each of these talents has different amounts of money attached to it. So to the one that he gave five talents to, the boss has given basically 75 years' worth of a day laborer's earnings. That's a lot of money. 
to the one he gives two to, he's given 30 years' worth of a day laborer's earnings. And to the one that he gives one to, he has given 15 years' worth of a day laborer's earnings. So no matter how you look at it, whether you look at it proportionally or disproportionately, the master has given each of them a large sum of money. After the boss leaves for his journey, the two servants who received uh, five and two talents immediately go out and they invest and put his money to work. The third servant who received the one talent, instead of going out and putting it to work, he takes it, he puts it in a jar, he buries it in the ground, and he leaves it there so it would be safe. He'd know where it was. And so a long time comes and goes, and the boss finally comes back from his trip, and he's ready to settle accounts with all of his servants. And I'm sure that the servants were surprised at his coming, even though they knew that he would eventually come back, because he never gave them a real timetable and said, here's the day that I'll return. He just said, I will return. So all three of the servants are summoned to come at that time to give an account of what they have done with his money. And so the servant with five talents comes, and he comes forward with confidence and joy that he has doubled his master's money. Likewise, the one who had been given two talents comes forward in the same manner and reports that he has also doubled what was given to him. And so the boss responds to them with delight and excitement. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Boss is pleased with the ways in which they have been proactive and creative in multiplying the funds that were entrusted to their care. And he calls them good and faithful in their service, and he shares that he's going to give them both a promotion because they have proved themselves trustworthy and responsible. In addition, they are invited to come and to share in his happiness. So he has a banquet prepared for them to feast and to celebrate together. And then the third servant came. And he shared that he had hidden the one talent that was given to him. He'd put it in the ground in a safe place, and he chose to bury it so that he could give it back at the appropriate time because he understood that his boss was a hard man with great expectations. So in fear of failure, he simply held on to it so that one day he could return it untouched. But the boss's demeanor changes. He becomes angry. And he says to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you know that I have great expectations. You should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So he ordered that his talent be taken away from him and given to the servant who had doubled his five talents. Whoever has been given more, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We like stories with happy endings, right? This story doesn't end that way, does it? It seems a bit harsh in some ways to punish someone who didn't waste the money that was given to him, but simply gave it back. So the tension of this parable that Jesus gives us is whether or not to take this literally, or whether to understand it as hyperbole. Is Jesus trying to shock and awe us into action? Each week, usually outside of communion Sundays, we gather as the church and we often affirm our faith after 
we hear the message proclaimed to us. And we use this creed called the Apostles' Creed, a very ancient creed. And within that creed, we affirm together, from thence Jesus shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Essentially, what we are saying is that we expect Jesus to come back, to return, just like the boss in the parable, to judge those who are still living and those who have gone on before us. Because we affirm in Scripture that we believe in a judgment day in which we will all stand before our Creator and give an account for what we have done or what we have not done in our lives. And this particular parable is a third parable in a series of parables that teach uh, what constitutes proper conduct as we await the return of the Son of Man in all of His glory. And so what Jesus tells us is that the kingdom of heaven will be like this— rewards for those who are proactive and seek to be faithful in what they've been given, and punishment for those who choose to do nothing. We are told that the faithful servants doubled their investments while the unfaithful servant just buried it. But I want to be truthful with you this morning. I don't think that the focus of this parable is on the quantitative returns of the investments. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here I mean, think about it for a minute. Suppose that the faithful servants who had received more and doubled that money, what if they had put that money in some sort of high-risk stock options, right? Really, really risky. And the market happened to crash. And when the market crashed, they lost all the money that they had been given. How would the boss respond to their failures? Would he have applauded them for at least trying to do something? Or would he have scolded them? For being fools. You see, the focus, I believe, of this parable is on the third servant, the one who was entrusted with the least amount of money and took no initiative to invest it at all. Now, I'm sure this servant was not a bad person, rather a prudent and careful and cautious individual. He regarded his boss's money as important, but he wanted to take precautions and just play it safe. But his boss calls him lazy and wicked for his failure to simply invest it in the bank and to let it draw interest just sitting still. Now, that was the least that he could have done to put forth some effort, but he chose not to do that. You see, I think that Jesus wants us to understand that we are called to follow his lead, that we're not called to play it safe when it comes to our Christian lives. Rather, we're called to live a life of faithfulness, which exhibits trust in the one who has called us into his service. It is Christ who calls us to follow him, and he calls us to be active in our faith in the way in which we live our lives together. And Jesus knows what each of us are capable of, and he entrusts each one of us with differing talents, so to speak. And sometimes it's easy for us to look around at others who have been given more and feel like we can't do much with what we have been given. I mean, certainly God entrusts different people with different salaries, with different vocations, with differing life situations, but God calls all of us as partners in His business, and He has great expectations for every single one of us. You see, what God desires is for us to use what He has given us to invest in His kingdom work. This, my friends, requires risk. It's a risk to step out and invest our lives in others for Him. For following Jesus is about risk-taking. 
and not about being afraid to fail. I want you to imagine for a moment, many of you after church today will go grab lunch, maybe outside somewhere, or maybe you'll go home and and make lunch. Maybe you'll turn on that television that you have at home and turn on some football. At one o'clock, I believe the Panthers are playing a team called the Dallas Cowboys. And if my memory serves me correct, both teams are undefeated. Pretty important game. Now imagine going home and watching and turning that on, and as you see the, the crowd roaring and exciting and down in Charlotte today, they are ready to defeat the Cowboys, and everyone's excited that the teams are there, and the kickoff takes place, and the Panthers receive the ball, and they knee it in the end zone. And so after the commercial break, they come out, and they come out to the 20-yard line, and Sam Darnold calls the play, and they get into the huddle, and they call break, and they go out, and they line up at the line of scrimmage, ready for that first play of the game. Then imagine for a moment that every player stands straight up, and they immediately walk off the field, and they go and sit on the bench. Everyone's looking around in bewilderment, what are, what are they doing? The play clock is running, and they're going to receive a penalty if they don't get back on the field and hike the ball. And all of a sudden, all of the fans are yelling at them, booing them to get back onto the field. But it's almost like those players have forgotten who they are and what they've been called to do. And I'm sure if you're watching this live on TV, you're yelling at the TV screen, get out there, what are you doing? Coach, do something about this. But nobody moves they just become idle observers. Now, I know that's not going to happen, but imagine if it did. Because if it did, it would kind of be like the church sometimes. It would be much like us being called by God to live for Him by loving and serving our neighbors. It would be like coming to practice, to church, where we learn and grow together in our faith, and then we're sent out into the world to practice and to do the things that we hear and learn from God but rather than, than, than following the game plan and being prepared to go, we just decide that we're going to sit on the bench and be inactive participants in the game. It's almost like we've forgotten who we are and what we've been called to do. That would be burying our talents, I suppose. You see, I believe that the greatest risk of all is not risking anything in life. It's not caring enough about anything beyond ourselves to invest our lives in or to invest our resources in or to invest our hearts in. The greatest risk is playing it safe. It's being too cautious, being too prudent. This is laziness or slothfulness. And in fact, the church has identified slothfulness as being one of the seven deadliest sins that we can commit. Doing nothing not caring, being apathetic, doing nothing out of love, not to live up to the calling and the potential of our calling in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus has little patience for laziness, for slothfulness, because He commands us to let our light shine, not to hide it under a bowl. He commands us to be the salt of the earth. Salt is no good if it loses its saltiness. He calls us to trust Him not to fear Him. Serving our Savior with the talents that He has given us should be a joyful thing. It should be a life-giving thing. It should not be a burden or an annoyance for us. 
And if we understand God rightly, then we should know that he doesn't place unreasonable expectations and burdens upon us, but gives us freedom to take initiative in our life of faith together. You see, I'm convinced of this. If those other two servants had taken that money and invested them in high-risk stock options, and if the market had crashed and they had lost everything that their master had given them, I am confident that that master would have been gracious towards them because they made a conscious and calculated effort to do something with it. But here's the good news. Our master is Almighty God. And when God calls us to give of ourselves and to invest our life in the life of others and to use the talents that he's given us for his kingdom, I can assure you you don't have to worry about anything multiplying because God is the one who will make that happen. He just needs someone who is willing to do it and to give and to invest. All he wants is for us to trust, not to be afraid to step out. In fact, Scripture reminds us that perfect love casts out all fear, and we worship the one who defines what love truly is. So the question becomes, what is it that we really fear? Because there's nothing to fear when we put our lives in God's hands. You see, today, I don't know if you've been burying your time, or your love, or your talents, or maybe even your money in the ground, Maybe sometimes you feel like you don't have enough time or make enough money or really don't have any gifts to make a difference for the kingdom of God. But the more and more I read Jesus' words, I find that Jesus says that's simply untrue. All of us, every single one of us can contribute in tangible ways, regardless of our age. All of us can contribute in tangible ways that display our trust in God, but it will never happen if we're unwilling to take those risks. You see, so often the church has 20% of the people doing 100% of the work, and that's not how it's designed to be. In fact, we've been studying the book of Ephesians together over the last six weeks, and Paul reminds us in Ephesians that to become the mature body of Christ, we must all participate He tells us from him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. And our unison scripture today from Proverbs reminds us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not to lean on our own understanding but in all of our ways to submit to him, to acknowledge him, and he will make our paths straight. And so the question is, do we trust God enough to take the risk? I can tell you this, God trusts you, and he entrusts you with an awful lot. God is investing in you so that you too will invest your life. Today, if you look in your bulletin, you'll find a card with opportunities to invest in the life of the church Turn it to the back, you'll find that there are needs within the children's ministry, within our youth ministry. There's needs all over the church. Those are just a few of the things that there is help needed. But those things never get accomplished if no one ever steps up to the plate. If everyone is prepared and hears the word and is ready to play in the game, but then everyone goes and sits on the bench hoping that somebody else 
will step in and make it happen. The lazy thing is to assume someone else will do it. So we don't have to. Just burying our talent in the ground. But the faithful response is to help, assuming that no one else will. And if all of us contribute, we truly, as Paul says, become the mature body of Christ, showing forth trust in the one who entrusts our faith so that we might pass it on and invest it in the lives of others. But the truth is, as we all know, there will be a day of judgment. And the question is whether we will wait on that day with confidence or with fear. But my prayer for us, church, is that together as God's people, when that day comes, we will long to hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Friends, may it be so for all of us this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.